Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The human race is about to be wiped out. We have 50,000 people left and that's it. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. Battlestar Galactica is over, but we have to go fracking down the hatch to talk about Season 2, Episode 11 of BSG Resurrection Ship, Part 1. It's down the hatch. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here, as always, by Mike Bloom. Mike, after a very long hiatus, a month away from down the hatch, here we are returning to talk about Battlestar Galactica, and we also have a cliffhanger in this episode, too. Yeah, it's been nice, Josh. I feel like you and I getting to podcast together is the equivalent of like uh, us two ships flying at each other, ready to face off, only for us to kind of like wiggle around in place. That's all I do, baby. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, that's your call sign. Wiggle around in place and in space here. Talking BSG. Mike, how was your uh, month off? I hope it was pleasant. I was. I mean, listen, it's the holiday season. It is indeed a Cylon night for us to celebrate. Everything went well, uh, you know, to talk a bit off topic about BSG. Asher is now, Asher is four, and he is, <laughs> yeah. he's of the age. Maybe, like, I'm not seeing the force for the trees, but it feels like to me this is the first age for him where, like, he asked for things for Christmas, yeah. and he got them, and he had, like, satisfaction behind them. Like, he was actually conceptualizing the holiday. Now, of course, I'm saying that probably before, like, Every year moving forward, I'm going to come back here being like, this freaking kid is asking for the moon and back. Tracking, all Yeah, all way. 12 colonies yeah. uh, in gifts. But it was really happy to see him be so happy about it. And the holidays were relatively stress-free, didn't do too much traveling. But, you know, we got to wrap up 2023 and preview 2024 from a PSR perspective. And I'm excited to turn a calendar year and get back to this. Obviously, there was a lot to wrap up and a lot of new to cover over the past couple of weeks. But it's new to me, I suppose. I forget. It's that slogan of like NBC, maybe it was at some point uh, of a reruns syndication. But it's been was nice. Was that their slogan? It's new to me. Yeah, like <laughs> something like that. I'm going to type that in. <laughs> That's a great it's slogan. Just slogan. like shrug emoji. It's new to me. No, to me. I mean, that's honestly the way we should approach life nowadays, considering just the behemoth 
of content there is out there to take in as you and I are, of course, talking about a 20 plus year show. Yeah, well, it's new to you, uh, Battlestar Galactica. So I'm glad you had a great uh, holiday break. Uh, we are now uh, officially past the point that Larry David would say that you should say Happy New Year, mm-hmm. especially because we're recording this podcast a week earlier due to my travel schedule. So we're actually like a week unstuck in time as you out there are listening to this podcast. So like we're really past the Happy New Year point, but I don't know, whatever. Happy New Year. Larry David's not listening. To okay, this. no. So there actually was a promo in NBC in 1998 that said, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Okay, all right. Well, for Mike Bloom, he hasn't seen Battlestar Galactica. It's new to him. I yeah, have seen they, Battlestar they were, they, Galactica. It's not were, new to me. They were pushing, because back in the day, folks, uh, shows used to tend to run on a September to May calendar. And so during the summer, they had a lot of dead air, so they would just air a bunch of reruns. And basically, NBC was putting out this adage of like, hey, listen, if you missed it during the past nine months, then it's basically new to you. Pretty much. Uh, well, Resurrection Ship certainly new to you, Mike, and the first of the Battlestar Galactica podcasts of the new year. So we're really excited to get into it. Of course, this is Down the Hatch. If you are not subscribed already, seek us out, Down the Hatch, Battlestar Galactica, wherever you get your podcasts. You also can send in your emails, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com with any feedback that you've got, any ratings you want to send, 0 to 4.2 for each of the episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you label your emails spoilers or non-spoilers. Mike Bloom has not watched this show before this is his first journey through bsg so we want to keep that protected at all costs as we get into it again with resurrection ship part one um even before we get into it this is also going to be old news by the time it hits the down the hatch feed but it's relatively new news for us here in the real time as we're recording it so we wanted to touch on it because as mike said before we hit record how often do we get to talk about new battlestar galactica uh and it appears that there is a development on the battlestar galactica on peacock front there's going to be a reboot of bsg it's been in the works for a minute frankly i believe if i'm remembering this right mike when peacock was announced so too was battlestar galactica the reboot on peacock uh it was like part of the opening day silo not the show of announcements uh for peacock uh and it was always coming from sam esmail who is the creator of my very beloved mr robot mm-hmm. uh and it has been announced that there is now a new showrunner uh who is working uh on battlestar galactica Derek simons simons yes. Uh, something like that. Uh, just don't call him late for dinner. He's probably most well known for being the creator or EP, I believe, on The Sinner. Did you watch like, The Sinner? I didn't, but I remember it got some pull, quite literally, Bill Pullman. Uh, it was <laughs> one of those like uh-huh. anthology police yeah. procedural series. It ran in 2017, so it was like right before we kind of got that glut of content. I remember that like Jessica Beale, I feel like yes. had a big star turn. In so it. she was an ex, uh, an executive producer on the first season. And I think was on, um, was producing all of the seasons of the center, but was only um, on camera for the first season. And then Bill Pullman becomes the, like every, every year is a new crime and Bill Pullman shows up with a whole ton of baggage to solve it. Uh, that was basically the show. And I was texting with your friend in mind, the great Antonio Mazzaro, recently over this news of the BSG reboot news with Derek Simons coming on board. I said, between Derek Simons, Battlestar Galactica, and Sam Esmail, I'm two away from PSR bingo. Because people forget, and I'm including myself and Antonio forget sometimes, that we podcasted about every single episode of season two of The Sinner. 
that is like oh, on what? like the storied Wait. wall of Josh no. Antonio podcast. No, yeah. no, not Did a joke. Really? Dragon fruit, Ferragamo, this all is, of the things. No, if this is a Mandela effect to start <laughs> no, off the year, I swear no, to Cylon Frog. No, God. no, no. Cylon Frog God knows that it's real. It happened. Uh, we covered the Sinner season two. Uh, it had Carrie Coon in it, uh, oh. so it had some like leftovers DNA. Uh, the kid who is at the heart of it has a, a great role in one episode of Mr. Robot, so we were very excited about him. Uh, we watched it. It was pretty good. You know, uh, it's pretty good, but it's, it's very weird. Like, The Strain is clearly the worst show that Antonio and I ever podcasted about, but like, The Sinner is the one that makes you go, what? You guys talked about that? Yeah. You talked but- about every episode of The Sinner? Which so. I'll admit had me cocking an eyebrow a bit when I read <laughs> this message. I mean, like, resume isn't everything, uh, but I think for me, and Sam Esmail, I trust with a lot of stuff. I mean, Mr. Robot, one of the boldest shows I think I've seen out there in so many ways. And so I'm really eagerly anticipating this whenever it'll come. I mean, Josh, you talk about our formerly beloved Poppy Peacock. I mean, Battlestar Galactica left its services last year. And I think for a lot of people, that was a sign of like, okay, this reboots DOA until the strikes broke. And then I think Esmail was able to like come out in an email update about all of this news. He said, I think in October, uh, we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, And he says, now that the strike is over, we're back into developing it. What's interesting is in watching this episode and experiencing the Pegasus storyline for the past two episodes, part of me was thinking, okay, if BSG does come back in today's modern storytelling landscape where things are just like ultra gritty and dark and intense, there's a non-zero chance that the stuff that happened aboard the Pegasus, both on and off screen, would be like par for the course on the new BSG. Yeah, I would be fine if that wasn't the case. Like, I feel like this BSG, and someday we'll find out, we'll watch a little bit of the original Battlestar, I imagine. Uh, I can imagine it's just so tonally different. I think we got to go in a new tonal direction for a BSG reboot. I really do think that Battlestar with Muppets might be the way. I mean, then though, I mean, no, I'm trying to think. No, I think Paramount is trying to merge with Warner Brothers. I'm trying to think about in what timeline of the mega corporate acquisitions will we get NBC and Peacock under the mouse and then we can bring the Muppets in. Yeah, I don't know, but they better get it right uh, because I feel like if they don't, there ain't going to be a next time. I think like this is the shot at uh at bsg the reboot the reboot uh sam so Esmail, when well. you stand there with bsg i want you to shoot it in the head or yeah. shoot it as a full series yeah so we'll yeah shoot it in the head uh oh my gosh all right well let's talk about resurrection ship mike part one at least directed by michael reimer story by ann copel saunders teleplayed by michael reimer originally airs january 6 2006 it's after uh, a long hiatus as well at this point uh much like you and i Coming back into this one, part one of a two-parter, your initial review to me offline was like, that was definitely part one of a two-part episode. (laughs) Listen, I think we're a bit spoiled on Lost, Josh, if we're being completely honest, where I do feel like despite them having multi-part episodes, despite knowing that going in, it does feel like each episode has its own sort of natural rise and fall. And I feel like my experience of BSG so far has been both with this with home with a little bit of Cobal's last gleaming as well, that they're, I think a little bit more conventional in that part one is all set up and part two is all execution. Now, that being said, I thought the last scene in this episode was positively electric and it yeah. made me so, so excited for what's to happen next. So granted they did their job completely correct, 
But I'll admit, when we go to credits for the first time, and we're already a quarter of the way through the episode, and the tension that we built into this delicious four-month hiatus has kind of diffused, albeit temporarily, <laughs> uh-huh. not exactly my expectation. Yeah, no, I totally I totally get that, and I, I largely agree, and I think, once again, I'm sort of in this lucky position of, I know what's on the other side of part one, and so, you know, my, my feelings about Resurrection Ship as an episode are really, really, really positive. And I, I think that this episode as well, even though it is setting up all the stuff that we will get in part two, there are a lot of moments of just like really tense dread that I love in this episode. I think like the real house of cards falling down around uh, Admiral Kane's persona, where even her own XO is like coming to Saul and spilling the tea. Like there's just a lot that's unpacked in this one that feels very dangerous, very scary, very, very good. This episode, if we're, if we're ranking them, uh, if we're rating them based on part one and part two, like I think this one for me is probably closer to like a three, nine or a four. Mm. Uh, but if we're looking at the full umbrella of resurrection ship part, uh, parts one and two, uh, well, we'll have that conversation next week uh, and, and talk all that through. Yeah. I, I am sort of, I'm at probably like a three five right now. I mean, as always, I think my score will lift the more that we get into it. I think the setup was intriguing, though. I feel like was it all worth the build up to again, that incredible final sequence? I'm not entirely sure, but yep. some good moments from some good characters and uh, some really not good moments from Admiral Kane, who uh, appears to be a major buzzkill. Quite literally, I'm pretty sure the guy she killed was named Buzz. and he Major buzzkill. Yeah, who is? Uh, well, no buzz killed as we're going to talk about BSG. The episode begins where BSG left off, Mike. Uh, the Pegasus and Galactica Vipers, they are heading towards each other. Cat's uh, looking for instructions. Uh, Ty is trying to figure out what Adama needs. Everyone is trying to figure this out. The Vipers are heading towards each other. They're not firing. They're weaving in and around <laughs> each other. But they're just sort of like running circles around each other. It's great. Like, like they're my son in gymnastics class, just not really doing any form of dance or rhythm whatsoever. Yeah, like it is sort of like this arrhythmic sort of thing uh, where they're all just floating in space trying to be like, wait, what are we doing? We're well, fighting think, each other? Well, I think what they're trying to do is like, I'm not touching you, you know, like trying to antagonize <laughs> yeah. them, but knowing that they can't fire upon them and maybe actually trying to encourage that the other party fire upon them because then that's probable cause to start the entire thing. Gives them an excuse. Uh, yeah, this is a, a note from the Ben behind the curtain that at this point, because Lee and Starbuck are aboard the Pegasus crew, it's Cat who is Cag, Cag Cat right now for the Galactica. Uh-oh. That's, that's that's uh yeah no, I don't know yeah did we watch Final Cut is that a good idea I don't know I don't know if we want Cat as the CAG but uh, that's what we've got right now um, Admiral Kane is going to tell Taylor uh, her CAG uh, AKA Stinger is yeah I was confused sign. about that because of course I remembered him as Captain Taylor Kara Thrace Captain Taylor the yeah. infamous man that introduced himself twice yeah I didn't realize his his call sign was Stinger. Yeah, maybe that's what you find out when you ask him to introduce himself for a third time. Do you think it's because he doesn't have a ring finger and so his hand's just permanently in the stinger? He doesn't have a ring finger, so his hand is permanently in the stinger? Yeah, you don't know what the stinger is? I uh, do, uh, do I want you to enlighten me? I mean, 
depends. No, do I want, don't. Do you want to bite that fruit? Nope, <laughs> nope I don't want to bite that fruit. Uh, so Stinger, uh, the four-handed man, is going to relieve Lee of his duty. Uh, and Apollo's like, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, permission to go sit in the... <laughs> permission to lie down so my face <laughs> isn't so red later for my family photo. Uh, so he goes he goes and lies down to watch TV. Uh, and he No, gets but, the- he's, but he's texting. He's yeah, he's texting. texting. Starbucks. I was... Oh, this made me so happy. And I wish this was... Texting from the couch. I, like, I didn't, I didn't want to stay there the entirety of the episode. But, like, I just love the advent of uh, freaking Starbucks and Lee, like... I aming each other from their <laughs> respective ships. I had this moment as well where it's like, y'all are like typing on like a clickety clackety <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> really? It really does feel like 1997 up there. I mean, I got to give major ups to D and Chief as well to like put a freaking PC inside the Blackbird. That's some yeah. high tech shit. Yeah, it's running on DOS. Uh, so like they're I aming each other. Starbuck is in the Blackbird. She's reached the Cylon fleet. Uh, she's taken all these pictures of this huge unidentified ship with this hollow oh my. core. I was so scared for her. I was yeah. like, okay, this is gonna be the first of a two-parter. Great, she's gonna be captured, and we're gonna have we're gonna really see up and close what the resurrecting ship is like. But like, good on Starbuck, and I suppose bad on the Cylons because they just let this lady literally walk through their house. Yeah, uh, Blackbird, very quiet. Uh, very- sneaky the blackbird uh as if it is john turturro and mr deeds uh so she is able to to sneak up in there this is gonna be very impressive to kane in a minute but when she jumps back she sees all of the vipers dancing she's like what the hell is going on with all this uh and then both galactica and pegasus see that there's a new ship on dradis they assume it's a raider but nope it's the blackbird it's starbuck uh so they are uh they're going to figure out uh, that it's Starbuck. They're not going to go after her. Uh, and she is going to have um, all of these photos that she's able to, to pass along. Uh, but she went off on this mission without approval. You would think that this would be a bad thing, according to Admiral Kane. But ultimately, Admiral Kane's going to be like, wow, she was really good at that. That was great. That's what I like. Josh, what do you think would have made a better cliffhanger, knowing where everything is going? What we got... Or if we added that extra, like, five minutes where everyone's circling around each other, Starbuck, we get this mysterious, you know, image of the ship. Starbuck takes the photos. We see all the ships uniformly turn back and encroach upon Starbuck. Huh. Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, leaving, I, I think, like, you have to leave it where, like, is the fleet going to fire on each other? And I think, like, the question is, like, oh, of course they're not. Uh, but also, like, if they leave it to, like, fire on Starbuck, you're also going to have the same feeling, I think. So I think may as well just have it, like, hang out there as, like, uh, the, the Battlestar Galactica Civil War uh, is probably mm. the thing. I don't know. You yeah. disagree? No, I mean, I, I go back and forth about it because uh, I think that this would have been, like, an incredibly depressing cliffhanger as well of like oh no everyone's fighting and now they're all gonna kill starbuck over a misunderstanding but there is also the meta narrative of like this is not how they're gonna kill the yeah. race but i also knew that'd be doubly so after the first act of the episode uh but yeah i, I did like the image of all these ships dosy doing each other and then everyone be like oh nope let's yeah. go do this and what bring your viper round and round and what a fantastic, like, if you literally just reverse the sequence of events, it's going to be how the episode ends with, okay, let's all work together, but secretly we're not but going secretly, to. secretly we're trying to shoot each other in the 
face. Uh, so Ty is really happy about this. Everyone's really happy about this ultimately because of the images that they get. These close-up ships of the Cylons. Um, Kane is very impressed. She wants to... Uh, everybody go down to condition two. We're going down to condition two. We're standing down. We're not going to shoot each other anymore. Uh, she orders Adama aboard her ship. Adama's like, yeah, no. No, 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 no. Not going to do that. Absolutely not. I know where that leads me to. It'll just execute me. Uh, so why don't we meet on neutral ground? And they are going to meet on Colonial One, where President Roslin, uh, like back to her like school teacher days. Yes. Like, I'm very disappointed in both of you. Well, no. What I think is interesting, though, is she says that it was a failure on the leadership of everyone in this room. And that yeah. includes herself. That's yeah. what I think is interesting is that she's not necessarily coming from a position of authority because again, Kane is going to really take that attitude of like, what malarkey are the two you point? She's a school right. teacher. She can't be present. Basically Kane is like, if they unfroze a character who got frozen in the miniseries in season two, episode sure. 10 and is like, Oh, wait a minute. This isn't happening yet. No, everyone's learned. I mean, she she very much verbalizes this here. Is this what you two have been doing for the past six months, debating the finer points of colonial law? Well, guess what? We are at war. And I yeah. think that was literally what Adama was saying in the first three episodes. I was like, I don't care about the people. We are at war right now. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's really trying to like drill that in. Uh, we don't have the luxury of academic disputes. Rosalind's insulted. Uh, and she says, if there's a war within the fleet, Pegasus probably wins. Don't count on it, says Adama, which is great. Uh, and a head-to-head -head between Pegasus and Galactica. Who do you have, Mike? Do you have the ship that the show is named after or the ship the show is not named after? I feel like that's a trick question, too. Like, uh, do, is the big G going to be the Ned Stark here? That we're just going to live with the Pegasus for the rest of the time? Yeah. Kane's like the Joffrey. Or yeah, they combine. They, they merge the tribes, and then the show becomes Battlestar Palactica. Or Pegastar yeah. Galactasus. Yeah. Could be that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... The listeners have done a very good job hiding the title change from you. Yeah, well, I just figured it out. No wonder the show really hasn't gotten a lot of acclaim because it changed titles halfway through and nobody knew how to record it on their DVR. But yeah, Kane is, I mean, actually, Kane, the more I think about it, is very Cersei like. I do feel like the demolition of the Red Keep was not too dissimilar from what we found out she did to all those civilian ships. Yeah, very much. She's very, very uh, cutthroat. Uh, we, you know, a really scary picture of Kane gets painted in this episode. Um, Roslyn's going to say, this is going to be bad for everybody. Uh, the only option is compromise. And Kane says, here's the compromise I'm willing to make. I'm not going to kill your guys, because let's remember, she has Chief and Hilo uh, on. Uh, she's got uh, Galen and Carl as guests aboard the Pegasus. She says, I won't kill them until after the Cylon attack. Uh, and Roslyn says, here's what we're going to do. We'll actually meet back here after all of that. And you better let's not decide back in the new year. <laughs> yeah. Let's circle back in the new year. Yeah. So they'll circle back. Uh, happy new year to, to, uh, to Kane and Rosalind. Um, back on the Pegasus, Kane, no one has ever been this happy to see Karis race. I feel like. Yeah, well, Ty did put a really nice comment in in the first part when uh, the CIC is trying to figure out what Starbuck did that she absconded with the Blackbird. He says, uh, sounds like one of her crazy ass stunts. Thank the gods. Like, yeah. Ty's like, I would be dead if it weren't for her right now. But yeah, otherwise, Kane is going to find, I would say, a bit of a bedfellow in Starbuck uh, in that both at least understand the idea of doing whatever it takes. Yeah, so whatever it takes. Uh, Kane tells Starbuck, like, 
Hey, so you're CAG now. I need someone with guts uh, and initiative. Uh, and so that's going to be you and uh, Stinger. Do you know who Stinger is? Is that Captain Taylor? Captain Taylor? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> is that Captain uh, Taylor? Taylor Thrice Captain Taylor? <laughs> yeah. So he's out. You're in. Uh, she And Starbucks like, okay, cool. My conditions are I want Lee Adama on my team. Uh, Lee uh, is not in major trouble, it seems like. He just has been revoked of flight fact, status. he's been demoted, I believe, to Lieutenant Trouble. Yeah, Lieutenant Trouble. And so Starbucks wants Lieutenant Trouble on her team. Kane's like, yeah, anything you want. Uh, do you? Always, she, I think this is a great exchange. Do you yeah. always get what you want? She says, usually, sir. Uh, and Kane says, good, because so do I. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. like, this is like uh, like uh, two best friends, like immediate best friends. Yeah, which is great because by the end of this episode, it doesn't be like, I want you to shoot your new best friend. Yeah, I want you to kill your new best I friend. Mean, even in this moment, Kane, I got to give her credit, is like telling Starbuck exactly what she needs to hear to get her on her side, considering she follows this up with, oh, by the way, I heard at the beginning of last episode, you wanted to go back to Caprica to pick some people up. I think that's a great idea because our ultimate goal, let's live in the hollowed out, desiccated husks of a post-nuclear fallout 12 colonies. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's what she wants. She wants to return to the 12 colonies, kick the Cylons out of our homes. What do you think about that? Starbucks says, best news I've heard all day. Yeah, but I love God. I freaked out so much when it cuts back to Laura Roslin and William Adama sitting in like the easy chairs of Colonial One. <laughs> yeah, and yep. Roslin goes, I'm afraid this could only end one way. You've got to kill her. Like, yeah, what Laura. <laughs> Laura. Uh, wow. Uh, really goes straight to assassination. Uh, so should we try to figure out were there other ways this is? Are there other ways this can end? Other well, than assassination? I'm sorry, I'm going to key make a Game of Thrones comparisons, but like, it, Rosalind is, is essentially going the Jamie Lannister route, right? She's saying like, he is above you. She is above you. You are serving under her, technically, but your duty is first and foremost to the fleet. If you feel like someone is posing a danger to the fleet, you have to be the Queen Slayer right now. The Kane Slayer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so she says, yeah, you're going to have to kill her. And Adama's like, that's a little intense. And she's like, ah, I don't know. Kind of feel like it's time for an assassination. Like, we really haven't had one of those in a while since the last cliffhanger. So, like, could we do that? And, uh, uh, and, I, and I understand her perspective a bit because it's been a while. But let's remember the whole dichotomy between these two in the first place was that Adama represented the needs of the military and Roslyn represented the needs of the people. And sometimes they butted heads, especially in those early episodes. And I feel like from Rosalind's perspective, I mean, she's never been entirely aboard the whole military over everything edict. That's what caused her to, you know, cause Starbuck to break rank for the umpteen time and get herself in trouble and thrown in the brig. So I actually think the more I thought about it, it was, despite the order being so dramatic, I think it was in character for her to at least entertain this thinking. Because again, she first and foremost is to serve these people. If she has the, it turns out, correct judgment that, oh, this person is coming in and will pose as a direct threat to the well-being of the people, then it is within my duty to try to prevent that from happening. Meanwhile, back at the Galactica in the Med Bay, we are following up on everything that went down with uh, with Sharon, with Shaprika, a.k.a. Baby Boomer. Uh, she has a broken rib. The baby's going to be fine um adama tries to tell her the attackers they weren't from galactica and she says like a does that matter and b we're calling this an attack now huh 
Yeah, when it should be, let's say it, because we're on sci-fi, rape. Yeah, yes. Uh, so she's not loving the way that she's getting received right now. She doesn't love that Hilo and Chief are scheduled to be executed under Kane's command. Um, but uh, that's what's going down, and Adama's trying to apologize for everything, what happened to you. Doc Cottle is the one who interjects immediately, says, it's unforgivable. Yeah, uh, good, uh, good for him. Listen, we chastised Jack, Sh- Jack Shepard for his bad bedside manner, and Doc Cottle has certainly... Some, maybe, he's had his moments, for sure. He's definitely thrown maybe one too many barbs, especially towards a freaking cancer patient. But right. here, I do think he is the most sympathetic shoulder for the Cylon to cry on. Yeah, uh, so Bill is saying, it happened on my watch. I'm responsible. I sincerely apologize. Go back to jail. Uh, <laughs> do not collect $200. So, uh, yeah, I don't get any money. You want $20? Fine. Uh, so that's <laughs> all that they get. Uh, okay, so Hilo and Chief, meanwhile, they are also in jail. Um, they are musing about, well, why do you think we haven't been executed yet? Yeah. Uh, like, they, what are they waiting for? Well, and then uh, Lee's going to come in, right? And this is a fun little threesome that I feel like we've never had this character configuration on the show before. And yeah. he's just kind of like also trying to wrap, ahead, wrap his head around everything. We'll get to Lee. I think, again, I enjoyed this episode, but maybe I'm speaking a bit biased. There is a deleted scene, one deleted scene. It was quite literally mm-hmm. D and Lee uh, that I think contextualizes his perspective that I didn't realize I needed until I watched it. But I think he verbalizes just how fracked up things are when Tyrrell's like, I thought the Cylons were the enemy. At least like, yeah, I guess now it's us, apparently. Yeah, it's us. Uh, it's a high, it's us. We're the enemy, it's us. Uh, there's going to be this conversation between Chief and Hilo that goes down. I don't know if it's here or later in the it's episode. It's later, yeah. Yeah, I may as well just talk about it here, uh, where they talk about Sharon. This also has big deleted scene energy to me, by the way. Uh, yeah. This scene where Chief's like, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, when I'm I, out. When I get out of here, like, I'm done with Sharon for real this time. Like, I just can't do it. And he was like, good for you, because I can't. I'm in love. But I understand that it's crazy to be in love with a machine. And what's my baby going to be? And all of this stuff. Uh, and he says, so like, yeah, I do love her. I can't let it go. But Chief, if you can let it go, do that. He just has to learn how to let things go. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought this was some good, I agree, maybe not the most important scene in the episode. And maybe I actually would swap this out for the D Lee Ted scene. But uh, I do think that Hilo, especially his POV was welcome for me. I know I haven't been the biggest Hilo fan. Maybe 2024 what? will be the year I come around on Carl Agathon. Yeah. But uh, I do think that Hilo talking about like, yeah, listen, I didn't kill her. But that doesn't mean there aren't strings attached. In fact, this thing is all strings at yeah. this point. I think it was it's good. It doesn't feel like, okay, this dude's just head over heels. He doesn't even think about the consequences. The fact that he verbalizes, I'm in love with a woman I know isn't a woman. Uh, and the fact that he tells Tyrrell, like, basically what you told me before in mocking back in Flight of the Phoenix is right. You're yeah. the lucky one because you were able to move on from this. I cannot. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got uh, we've got some Baltar content, a uh, decent amount of Baltar in this episode. I know, uh, but we don't see them until halfway through. I was surprised. Yeah, well, we go so we go back to like the Mind Palace. He's back in his Caprica home with Number Six. She talks about how she misses sports, uh, the least relatable uh, Number Six has ever been. Mike, 
Oh, well, now do you think that one of the versions has romance? What's his name? Anders, the pyramid player? Uh, oh. Because, yeah, because she talked about how when she used to be Caprica sick, she would go to pyramid games and let the energy of the crowd wash over her. I loved her describing it as an electric current, considering how many times these Cylons have been described as machinal, right, as toasters, as appliances. For her to, like, compare human emotion to current is so interesting. What's also very interesting is that Six claims oh i always bought two tickets one for me one for you do you buy that do you think that that's real i don't know because he said even though i know you never go i wanted to feel you with me i mean we don't know a lot about their relationship because it was clear that they were carrying on some sort of affair for a while which is why he was able to let her into the defense codes and cause this entire thing to happen so i would buy that like she was doing something. This wasn't like, oh, I popped up and then three days later, I helped destroy the 12 colonies. Right. But I think it's also interesting, though, to compare to obviously Baltar's like obsession with six. Right. And also this idea of that invisible passenger, considering how much Baltar has had head six for the basically entire time that we've known him. It's kind of fun to see whether or not it's true, the shoe on the other foot here. So he wakes up uh, and he's still in the cell with Pegasix and Kane is here now as well. And she's just going to be awful. Uh, she's going to uh, say, okay, you got her to eat. Did you get her to roll over and beg? She kicks Pegasix. Uh, Baltar is going to say any physical contact is going to set our efforts back. But that look on Baltar's face, he's just like horrified by how Kane is treating this woman. Um, and she says, you need to find out everything that we can about these photos that uh, Starbuck just took. Uh, and if you could do that, that's great. And so she leaves. And as soon as she leaves, Pegasus tries to kill Baltar. Uh, and I don't really know what it is that stops her from doing it. Do you? So my assumption is I have a couple of different reads on this. One of them is that she is just taking out all of her aggression upon him now that she has kind of like come out of this semi-catatonic state, has had some sort of energy in her. The first thing she does is lash out at like the most defenseless person that she can. The other thing I could think of is that she is attacking him so that maybe he kills her out of self-defense because mm. as she will verbalize immediately after scrambling to the wall, I want to die. Will you kill me, please? Yeah. Uh, and he's going to spend so much of the episode trying to, like, talk about anything else, basically. Um, though it turns out that Resurrection, it's in the title, is going to be a very big part of this storyline. Uh, so we'll get into all of that in a little bit. Um, first, we've got Adama going to the hangar uh, and is going to meet with Laird. Uh, I, we'll, be, we'll be ready for the attack thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so when I saw Laird in the previously on, I was like 96% convinced he was going to be a Cylon. Like, uh -huh. why are we getting this random guy? Oh, okay, maybe the story is that Pegasus actually had two uh, two people in their midst that were Cylons. I mean, as Kane is going to sort of attack Pegasus about in the previous scene, you were eating with us. You were listening to our stories. You pretended you were your friend. I mean, that would hurt even doubly so, but... No, and more so turns out just to remind us like, oh yeah, there was a civilian fleet that was with the Pegasus. It just didn't make it here. But yeah, Laird, I mean, Laird seemed like arguably the best of the Pegasus crew last time. I just by proxy of the fact that he's not a terrible human being. But I still think so. 
Yeah, but even he's yeah he's he's less I think duplicitous and more so just like very in over his head because he was given command of a deck of an entire other ship. Well, also makes you wonder like did we we hear this story coming next? Uh, this scene between Ty and Fisk where they are once again drinking together, but now like really the mask is off and Fisk like it takes like really no prompting at all for Fisk oh. to just throw Kane under the battle star. I was I was very close to giving Ty an MVP play. I think he did. He didn't do enough to earn it, but like honestly, this is very good social engineering. IMO to be like he uh, he sort of unintentionally kind of lubricated the gears of this back when they were drinking last episode. Like he obviously didn't know Fisk would just come in and tell him all these stories, but like I, I he'd think been working on this story for a year and he just blurted it out. Yeah, I, m my assumption is that after. Callie told Adama. Adama then went to Ty and is basically like, yeah, I want you to milk the resource you have for everything. Get him nice and drunk and get him to tell you the story. Yeah, so we hear about the Scylla, uh, which was Laird's ship, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's this story of how like there were a bunch of good civilian ships. They got stripped down for parts, jump drives. People were used as resources as well. Everything that was deemed good and valuable about these civilian ships was taken for the Pegasus. Uh, and that the Scylla was the toughest one. Um, people were traveling with their families and people who were deemed essential workers effectively like weren't going to go until Admiral Kane ordered the families of the people drafted who don't agree to come shot. And two families do end up getting shot. And Ty is shocked, not shot at this. Yeah. This is like a really, I mean, it's a really horrifying story. Uh, yeah. if, if true, I mean, do you take Fisk at face value here? Or do you think, you know, I, we, don't, gotta, we don't see I, this happen. So I know, but I got to keep doing so. Like, uh, I'm, I'm going to, even though he is a newbie, I got to believe the opinion. I mean, drunk minds, sober hearts. Isn't that the, the old adage right. that between last story and this story, unless it turns out that like Fisk is the big bad and was trying to build up Kane as the Patsy. We're now He's two Kingpin. Yeah. We're now two for two on just stories of like, Oh my God, Admiral Kane will just do literally whatever and kill anybody anyone to get what she wants i mean yeah. that is like how how do you not even second guess yourself if that story is true if you're yeah. ordering for the execution of husbands wives and even children to recruit people aboard your ship i don't know is is that better than i suppose like leaving them out stranded in space with no resources i suppose but neither outcome's good no not really um yeah, it's uh, it's pretty intense. It's a pretty intense story, I think, is a really understated way of describing what Fisk has just shared with Ty. And so I think, like, it, it lends some real urgency to the fact that, like, she still has Hilo in chief, you know, at the very yeah. least. Uh, and she's going to roll out her plan by the end of the episode, though. I want I want to talk about that. Uh, certainly when we get there. Yeah. And, and well, I think what's interesting, though, is that it, it's not like stakes weren't set up before, but I think it really puts things into question not only for obviously i think even before we know the plan at the end we figured okay adama's days are probably numbered if kane does get the one up on him but now as he'll vocalize to Roslyn, like there's a chance if she feels like the plan worked the first time she'll just do the same thing why right. do we need all these warm flabby bodies of people that aren't going to do me any good in my war why don't I just jettison them? We have enough soldiers here that we can just repopulate the earth or the, the, the colonies when we need to. And so it turns it from more of a micro issue, in my opinion, into a macro issue of almost, okay, this is a borderline supervillain.
Um, okay, so Baltar is uh, going to have this conversation with Pegasus Six. Uh, this is after there's a quick scene where Lee goes to visit Starbuck, and the only thing he has to say is, "I can't believe I got demoted." Uh, yeah, not the best Lee look. I feel like no, uh, and, and Starbuck's like trying to ask for help because she's like, "I." It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Air is too big, both literally and metaphorically. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, no, freaking Kate. I can't believe she's about to be. And Starbucks like, it, it actually is pretty much the exact flip-flop perspective that they had last episode, if I recall, where both of them were sent over the Pegasus and Starbuck was acting up to Captain Taylor, Captain Taylor. And Lee's like, just keep your head down. Just yeah. nod. Don't yeah. step about it. And now Starbuck is the one that's kind of, you know, uh, given the company line. And Lee's like, oh, well, resistance overall. Yeah, so the so the major thing that we learn in this next scene um, with Pegasus Six, uh, with Pegasus, um, like the plot engine is okay. So that ship, that's a resurrection ship. Uh, like if you destroy that resurrection ship, I will get what I want, which is to die properly. I will not come back. This is going to get reported up the food chain. But the thing that I think is really worth stopping down on is this really intense thing um, that that Pegasus talks about about like what was her whole deal like baltar says like were you a, would you say you were a sleeper agent or did mm -hmm. you know she says i knew what i was i was a soldier the plan was that i was gonna get killed and then resurrected into a new body and instead what happened was all of this baltar says what happened to you was evil but i'm not evil those things are gonna stop things are gonna get better and she says i don't want things to get better i want to die uh all of this is just like, whew, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting perspective into the Cylons that we haven't experienced in a while. I feel like not since the days of Caprica 6 kind of gloating to Baltar, right? Of, oh, after your planet blows up, I'm just going to re-download into another body. But I feel like the way that she was talking through this was tangential, at least, to I feel like the ideation of a suicide bomber, of yeah. like, oh, I am going to go through this. I will sacrifice myself on behalf of the greater cause. And instead of getting your 72 virgins, instead you wake up on the resurrection ship and then you get to start over again. So there really is no sort of downside to being so brazen with what you do, which is, again, going to inform the plan that the fleet is going to take later on. So it's so interesting to try to look into her psychology and figure out, like, okay, how much of her thoughts right now of like, I know there's no way for me to come back from this. So like, please do not let me live. I mean, how much of this is obviously the absolutely terrible, horrible things that have been done to her versus like her kind of uh, living out the ironic ending of like, well, now you're a human. Now you're someone who does have an end date and now you are suffering because there is permanence to the idea of you existing yeah uh it's it's a lot and i think like this idea of like the cylons could just be reborn like when when that's at risk like i think it's always very interesting to contrast that against the like the different cylons that we've seen that happen with so far like leobin uh yeah. you know for instance and like uh leobin twice actually right yeah. like uh like when he was like getting never come back <laughs> you know and then like when he got blown out the fracking airlock and everything and so like now we're getting this from six's perspective and i i think that seeing the Cylon point of view on mortality is always a really fascinating thing for Battlestar Galactica to do because 
They are not human. They are Cylons. That is mm -hmm. what they are. Their relationship with death and life is by virtue of their makeup is different. They can come back. We can't. Um, and so how that informs their worldview. And then when they're, you know, it's often very callous with a lot of the characters I think that we have met, but sometimes it's really contemplative. Sometimes it's really sad and scary and isolating in the way that it comes across. And then other times it's like spiritual and re like religious, I think even is like a word I would use with the Leo Ben stuff. Um, so I, I, I really like this scene a lot. I really, I really, as much as it's like really hard to watch, I think it's a very important scene for the core themes of BSG, which is like, um, what does it mean to be alive? Uh, yeah. I think is a really important question on the mind of the show. Uh, like yeah. can a machine be alive is a question I think is being asked a lot right now. Uh, mm. so, uh, I think like the way that BSG is handling it, um, is, you know, less controversial than some of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. But I, I feel like is just a really compelling thought experiment for what 2005 at this mm -hmm. point, 2006 now. Well, especially compare it to the idea of where does that fall into the greater war games, where even during this scene, when Baltar asked Pegasus if she was a sleeper agent, she says, I was a soldier. I had a mission. I carried it out. And how many times have we talked about like the impersonality that comes with the war effort that you kind of have to just like forget in your mind that you are sending people off to die or you are killing other people that have families that have lives back home just for a greater purpose. And it's also interesting that you mention all that stuff about, you know, putting your life on the line and whether it matters and sort of like the carefree nature that someone like Leoben has had twice over. Cause I go back to final cut and I go back to some of those talking heads that someone like Lee did about how basically every time you get in the Viper, you feel like you're going to die and pretty much you have to get over it because it's for the greater cause. I think yeah. one of the show's many, many accolades that I have gathered so far is like its ability to really showcase those aspects across both sides and to show how much the war machine is a machine and can dehumanize so many things so that when those elements do pop up that have us question us at our most human it can come from someone who's just a bucket of bolts yep uh all right so balter's gonna say reveal what the bucket of bolts just revealed to him he's gonna float that up the food chain kane and starbuck are psyched resurrection ship that we could destroy this would be big uh big if true uh this is the most important ship in the galaxy if this is true uh, and, I, and i love this so the basically the resurrection ship is like the scene from toy story 2 right with the isle of buzz lightyear dolls where essentially if any cylons are sent forward and they're killed great one just pops up in their place and apparently this entire time it seems the past several weeks this has been tailing the big g so maybe yeah. it's just been like always slightly out of frame yeah so the resurrection ship has been following them is what we find out uh and now is the time to to strike or i guess like the time will be part two uh assumedly <laughs> wait uh, a not, week <laughs> not in this episode um we go back to colonial one where Rosalind is very sick uh, and she's telling Adama about how she's not doing great. Uh, she will not die today, is what she says, and she's right about that. Adama's going to tell uh, Rosin, I've been thinking about what you said about the whole assassination thing, and I do think you're probably right. Turns out there was a civilian ship. She stripped it for parts. Uh, Rosalind says, listen, uh, Kane is playing for keeps. You need to do the same thing. She will not hesitate to take you out. You cannot hesitate either. Yeah, she says, as long as Kane is alive, 
my survival is at risk. Cut to her going into a massive coughing fit. Josh. Oh, Josh, I don't want to say it. I got really ominous vibes from this scene. Mm. I got really, really mm. the handhold like, mm -hmm. oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm fearful. Okay, well, uh, talk me through the fears. What are you afraid well, of? I'm fearful, but at the same time, there's a little spark. There's one little, <laughs> one little light uh -huh. in the dark. So, how, how far they've come from uh, the end of season one? You know? I know exactly. Yeah, you, you, your, my, your son, my son held a gun to my exo's head in defense of you. Now it's look like at even us. like what within the last like five episodes, right? Yeah. Like uh, who would have really figured that out? Look at us. This is our hot ones interview. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Who so, would do the best on hot ones of the BSG uh, characters? You think D bar none. D, yeah, D's a good shout. Because D, I think, has such a good straight face. I think Starbuck would do the like uh, the. I would do you this get sort of knocked out with like the final dab, I think. Yeah, I think so. I th and I think she's someone who like would try to put on a brave face, uh, but then would also at the same time do the Jennifer Lawrence thing of like absolutely just breaking down in the middle of it because everything is kind of caught up to her at once. I feel like Lee would like immediately chicken out like halfway through. Like he'd come and talk in a big game. Guys, Balter would talk a huge game and like immediately face plant into oh, a he'd be doing everything sauce. he could to like get out of it. Like he would have been told that like he's got like a great TV interview coming up. He'd be very excited about that. And then he finds out that he has to eat hot wings the whole time. It's like, I'm so sorry. I'm actually uh, become a vegan as of this morning. So I'm afraid just due to my own morals, I cannot do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Bill Adama would crush. I think Bill Adama would. I think Bill Adama would be good, but I feel he's like he's got like this very serious base of walnuts and udon noodles just waiting to soak up the sauce. See, I feel I like he'd, he'd be, be good with the hot ones aspect. I think he'd be bad at the interview. Yes, so. correct. That's yes. why I think D is sort of like that perfect middle ground of like I think she can take the spice you know and also what? she can provide the D, spice. D and Gata are top of my list. Gata would freaking like. Yeah. <laughs> take a whiff out of a like, bong and then just devour would, those like, wigs is it cool if i smoke here <laughs> you know, like, it's my interview now do you guys watch porn yeah i love it okay so... yeah so so basically like i think the tone that was left at the end being like i'll see each other tomorrow like you never write that knowing that that's a guarantee imo but the interesting thing is before that and I, this might be a, this might be one of like the big twists to end the season. But Adama asks Rosalind because it's clear like she is bedridden at this point. She's having a rough day, and we saw in the previously on again the ticking time bomb for her. He asks her, "What can I get you?" She replies, "A new body." A new body. Now, is it possible? Is it possible that the irony of all ironies happens? Laura Rosalind shuffles off that mortal coil. Maybe part of the other Cylons' plans is that, hey, maybe it's not just, oh, these completely other people are the only ones that can be Cylons. Like, hell, if they're making human-Cylon hybrids, is there a chance they would try to make a Cylon version of the freaking president or soon-to-be of the 12 colonies? Interesting. Ma maybe there's a Cylon Laura Rosin. And not to say that, like, she's been a Cylon the whole time. Right. More so that, okay, they were trying as the next part of their plan to infiltrate by creating Cylon versions of the characters who are human. Okay, so when they implement the the Cylon Laura Roslin doppelganger, though, is she going to be blonde or not? 
Ah, that's a good question. I think she'll have to dye her hair every time. Yeah, uh, she'll have to change it up. Like, um, what, like you just got to pay attention to the roots, and it's like, I got you. I know who you are now. Interesting. Interesting theory on the board from the great Mike Bloom. Um, okay, so Star Buck, 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 Buck is going <laughs> to uh, brief both of the fleets on the mission at hand. Uh, the military mission is to destroy the resurrection ship. We're going to involve civilian vessels as decoys. Let the Cylons find them. Induce the Raiders to leave the larger ships exposed. The Pegasus and Galactica will then engage the base ships. The Blackbird will sneak in, take out the Resurrection ships' FTL drives. At that point, Galactica and Pegasus will turn on and destroy the Resurrection ships. Sounds like a good plan, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I just don't understand from the Cylons' perspective what have they been doing. I mean, it looks like there were a butt-ton of Raiders when Starbuck jumped in but if i were the cylons wouldn't i be a little suspect of all this stuff considering that you've been tailing them undetected for several weeks and now just now yes they are quote-unquote doing mining operations but they happen to find that you've been behind them the whole time yeah i mean i feel like my instinct here is to be like uh well are they like creative thinkers the cylons or are they just like sort of on rails and then they're gonna like you know fall for this hook line and sinker or are we underestimating cylon intelligence once again at our own peril here as this plan is being laid out and yeah. they're actually like nah we got this we'll be fine I mean, remember, though, we just had a, a freaking Cylon computer virus become awake once again after lying dormant for several weeks. I have learned to never underestimate their intelligence, except for the times when I don't, and then they turn out to be pretty stupid. So, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they lay out the entire plan here, and I would imagine that due to that, it's not all going to go according to plan. It's almost the opposite of what we saw in Hand to God, right, where it was like, oh, there's this big reveal of something that we didn't showcase for the big surprise that... Everything that's going to happen here might go wrong. Uh, I don't know if Lee will use the Blackburn nearly as well as Starbuck did. Or, hell, I think there's a sizable chance that Cylon uh, Resurrection Ship's like, what the hell was that? Someone yeah. put that black thing in there? Okay, let's look out for that black thing next time, and let's shoot it upon immediately seeing it. Yeah, so... Um... We'll see how it goes. It should be interesting. Uh, there's a whole part two to deal with all of this. Uh, Kane sees no problems. Adama's like, I want to review the plan. And Kane's like, it's a good plan. I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, Adama says, can I talk to the CAG for a little while? Actually, I just want her to like talk me through it again. And definitely not so I can conspire with her to assassinate your head. Uh, and Kane says, yeah, just an hour, though. Uh, and so we get this incredible final scene, Mike, uh, where Adama is talking to Starbuck, Kane is talking to Fisk, and there are these parallel conversations in which they outline the assassination plots to each other. Kane wants Fisk to handpick a team of Marines, the most loyal, the most tested, Razors is what she says, uh, to post them up on Galactica, to be with Fisk and stay by Adama's side in the CIC throughout the attack. Meanwhile, Adama's telling Starbuck, I need you to do something. Starbuck says, anything for you, old man. You know that. He's like, oh, don't be so quick on this uh, one. You're not going to like it. Uh, I want you, when this is over, to go straight to the Pegasus CIC. I want you to, uh, to tell her, hey, great job. We did so good. Be very celebratory, yub-nub and all. Uh, and then I'm going to call. And when I say downfall, and in the case for Kane to Fisk, when she says execute case orange, um, Fisk is to terminate Adama's command, starting with Adama. And Adama says to Starbuck, when I call and say downfall, I want you to take out your gun 
and shoot Admiral Kane in the head. And that is the last line we are left with at the halfway mark of Resurrection Ship and part one, which is all we're talking about today. I mean, by far and away the highlight of the A really great final scene, the way it's intercut. I mean, it's basically it's so dark, good. It's dark Greece, right? It's like, tell me more, tell me more. Like they're all <laughs> described. Dark Greece. It's just what a what a way to describe it. But I mean, that's, I, mean that's, I get it. That's Tyrrell's favorite thing is dark Greece. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love the idea that these two are, and quite literally, the way it was edited was so beautifully done of them basically describing the exact same plan. I mean, even before that, where they see the two of them like in their office, both of them are kind of pouring over the logs of the opposition that they both have the exact same idea, which is, okay, we're going to be hunky-dory for now. We're going to be best friends. But then when the facade falls away, that's when the mask is uh, you know, taken off and then the true face shows underneath. And I thought it was just such a beautiful setup for what's to come because now we have two things up for grabs now. Blow up the resurrection ship. But even if that happens, you're not out of the woods yet. Uh, I will say, I think what makes Adama's side of the plan a bit better than Kane's is that A, Starbuck has wormed her way much closer to Kane than Fisk is with Adama. And B, it is so much easier to slip in downfall as like a code word to execute someone than, what was it? Execute code orange? Yeah, uh, case orange. Case orange. Because at least you could be like, oh, I'm so happy for all of us. We really led to the downfall of the Cylon. Yeah, like if if you're gonna slip in a secret code word, into an otherwise, like, into a conversation where the other person isn't expecting a secret code word. Execute case orange is a lot harder to pull off than downfall. One word. Like, you can get creative and figure it out. Uh, Like, you'll have to really go, like, like around the bend quite a bit to figure out execute case orange. I think it's doable. I think it's, it's not undoable, but downfall, you could just roll off. I mean, to um, make a reference that I think actually might be like a singular modern survivor reference that you would understand. It's like when they did those cockamamie idol phrases and you had to have people be like, it's the classic case of the bunny rabbit eating dinner in the mailbox. And it's like, that's a lot harder to get across subtly, though I guess nothing's as subtle as a good old assassination. I also love Adama just basically be like, yeah, just do what uh, what what Sharon did to me. Just a little more effort in it. So yeah, well, I think that maybe that's why he's like very clear about it. Shoot her in the head. Otherwise, uh, she's gonna be in surgery for like for four, four episodes. episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't uh, kill her that way. And then here comes Kane, uh, trying to get Fisk to do it. Now, I guess by proxy of knowing Starbucks since the very beginning, and Fisk being just introduced to him last episode, I I have a hunch. This will go better on the Starbucks side of things than the Fisk side of things, but it's still very fun to set up. That well, an interesting thing I think is like so. Kane is giving this information to Fisk, and I think all things being equal, you would really have no reason to like doubt Fisk's ability to pull this off. But I guess my question for you is like, does the conversation that Fisk had with Ty remove some of the danger out of Kane being like, Fisk, you're my guy? Because it feels like Fisk is already a little wibbledy-wobbledy. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that Fisk ends up relenting in the moment that she's going to say a-, a case of orange juice or whatever she says. Uh-huh. And Fisk is like, might reach for the gun, but ultimately not do it because like, I would imagine he'd be riding the high a bit on this successful mission if it is successful of like, oh my God, I can't believe we actually did it. This, this would be far and away the biggest W that even the Pegasus has gone, despite them being such good Cylon hunters that 
I don't know if he'd feel in the ecstasy of that moment. Okay, perfect time to execute, you know, the commander of the ship that was responsible for it all. On the other hand, Starbuck, unfortunately, is experienced in this way. She wasn't directly there, but she had heard that in the heat of the moment, Adama ended up getting gunned down. And so I think that she has some more wherewithal to be able to have the emotional attitude to do it. I don't know if she would. Uh, I think that it's not even about like her relationship with Kane that they're trying to build up this episode. I just don't know if Starbuck can do something like that. Yeah. Uh, Well, we'll find out in part two of Resurrection Ship, unless there's a secret part three and a part four, and then in which case... The rest of the series is just Resurrection Ship. A bunch of Resurrection Ships. Resurrection Ships all the way down. Uh, Mike, let's do our MVPs and LVPs for this episode. You've got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs. The LVPs are easy, right? It's a full wash for Admiral Kane. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I had said last time that I kind of laid off on her a bit because I was at least understanding her perspective. And yes, the story of like her executing her own XO is not good, but I was able to ride a bit on her accolades. Uh, Those quickly wore out their welcome in this episode between, you know, her, uh, you know, ultimately relenting. Pegasus, you know, like all of her behavior is bad. And even, and especially I think what puts her over the edge to get the full five LVPs is obviously the story of her, in my opinion, for no good reason. I would say like actual sociopathic behavior. Yes. Slaughtering civilians and stripping their ships for parts, just abandoning any idea of continuing civilization. The only other place that I was thinking about giving an LVP point this week was to the Cylons, maybe, I for was exposing that too, the resurrection yeah. ship. But like, that's more like the Blackbird's really good. And, and we also don't know, is this part of the big right. brain plan of like, exactly. oh, we wanted you to come to us because actually there's three more base stars that were hidden off screen. So I just don't think that there's another candidate really uh, for an LVP this week so it ends up being a full five for admiral kane she is at the bottom alongside thorn and meyer uh well i I think there's a very fair shot that she'll get at least one more and will be probably the lvp of the season which honestly would be uh like i think like a distinction of honor from michelle forbes she's Mm -hmm. so good as admiral kane she's really really good this is a great character but loathsome at least so far Oh, yeah. She's doing her job in so many ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so the MVP is a little more complicated, uh, though you and I are doubling up uh, two points to Starbuck. Yeah. Uh, She gets the job done, Mike, and a promotion. That's the thing is that it's actually a very good episode for Starbuck. It turns out that, once again, going rogue really benefited her here. She's the only one to actually accomplish anything and also helps diffuse the entire situation. There's a reason why her worst enemy, Ty, thanks her in this moment is because had that not happened, things would have gotten very, very sticky. She gets a promotion and now she's the right hand of Admiral Kane, which might be not so good for Admiral Kane. Yeah, might not be so good. Um, Who do you have for your next MVP point? I mean, I'm going to keep giving points to the sympathetic Gaius Baltar, the most sympathetic person basically aboard the Pegasus at this point, not only again for being that like emotional support for Pegasus, but also for being able to do his job, which is, to get the intel out of Pegasus. Safe to say, if she was just lying on the ground, starved and not contributing anything, he wouldn't be able to get any of this resurrection ship info out of her. Yeah, so uh, he gets that info out. Um, 
I went with Doc Cottle. I was actually oh. going to go with Baltar, and then you mentioned Doc Cottle almost got your MVP point. I was like, oh, I could probably do that. Uh, I think this is Doc Cottle's first point of the season. I Definitely feel like we season. gave him one last season, but I can't remember. For I think sure. we de- I think we gave him an LVP point for sure, <laughs> with the way he was talking to Roslyn at certain points. Yeah, that would that would sound right to me. Uh, so Doc Cottle, come on down. You're getting my MVP point this week. And I will finish off with the very person he demeaned last season. I'll go with Laura Roslin here. Uh, maybe it's a bit of a final lap for her. I'm not entirely sure. Again, that scene gave me some bad vibes. But the fact of the matter is, as much as we talk about Starbuck diffusing the situation, the fact that she was able to get, especially someone as hardened as Admiral Kane, to like sit down and agree to any terms that involves not executing Hilo and Tyrrell immediately is a victory. Yes. Uh, so there you have it. You've got your MVPs and LVPs this week. Starbuck is currently the head of season two. Six MVPs with Chief and Baby Boomer uh, at uh, tied for second with five apiece. And now Admiral Kane joining the bottom of the rankings, negative five at this point. Um, Cylon versus the Fleet. Who won this week? Was it the Fleet, the Cylons? Is it a tie, Mike? I am leaning slight the Fleet uh, just because... Blackbird was able to slip through. And even though the fleet was nearly able to like come to blows with each other, they didn't. And I want to to praise them for that before the Cylons will seemingly win next week when they fight each other. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. Like I, my instinct is like, my instinct is tie, um, but uh, not like so strongly. Like, yeah, they could have killed each other and they didn't. Do we want to give them a point for that? Sure. Fine. All right. It's the fleet. Good job. Not killing each other guys. The, uh, the, the bare minimum. The bar was in hell. Yeah, the bar was in hell and you didn't go there. So we appreciate you. Um, so the fleet now has five, the Cylons two, four Colonel ties for season two, 10 wins for the fleet overall, seven for the Cylons, five Colonel ties overall, four of which come here in season two. Uh, so Mike, um, rating this episode, you want to wait? Should we, yeah. should we this off? Yeah, I think what I've been learning so far is these two-part episodes, especially the ones that have the same name, not like uh, You Can't Go Home Again, yep. wait, An Act of Contrition. I'm going to hold my tongue until next week just to see cool. how it pays off. Because like I said the last time with Home, like I'm sort of at like a mid to semi-high threes at the moment. It was a solid episode, but outside of the ending, nothing like really had me jumping out of my chair. Uh, fair enough. All right. Well, speaking of jumping, we've got the jump counter and more still to talk about here. Um, we get one jump in this episode, by the way. Uh, yes, jump- Starbuck jumps away from the Cylons, finally. Yeah. Jump is up to 19. 19 jumps. Uh, you mentioned some deleted scenes. Is there anything else other than the, the D. Lee Ted scene? I wish there was a guy named Ted in that scene. And maybe it was Ted, the guy from Heroes. Yeah, could the be. Unexpected Ted, if you remember correctly. Uh, yeah, so the scene is really interesting where Lee is back on the big G and D walks up to him and Lee is in a state, basically. My assumption is timeline-wise, this would fall sometime before he end- or after he goes to Tyrrell and Hilo in the brig, where Lee is, you know she regards him as a, uh, as captain. He says like, Oh, it's just Lieutenant now. doesn't matter. I don't think anything does anymore. And Lee says, I'm not sure if we're different. We're just a step away from the choices they made. He's talking here about the Pegasus. I think his time aboard the ship and finding out more and more about what Kane did has had him come to yet another moral quandary, uh, vintage, like season one, Lee Adama of, is it worth what, we're doing in the end if we're committing such atrocities 
Now, D is going to stick up and allow them to, you know, defend themselves, saying it sounds like a pretty important step. I don't see us raping our prisoners. And, you know, Lee acknowledges that and says, yet, basically. He says, the reason we keep going out fighting and dying isn't clear to me anymore, which is such an interesting temperature check for this character who, outside of Starbuck, is usually seen as, like, the main guy leading the fighting and yeah. the dying. So... I don't know what to make of it being put on the cutting room floor, like if this is going to be a major beat of the character, but I think it was a good check-in on, I think for a while it was the moral compass of the show, someone yeah. who openly questioned why we were doing these things to the point that he does commit a mutiny at the end of season one and beginning of season two. To have him here find out about everything that Pegasus did and have him once again question if he's on the right side i think it's actually really juicy yeah i like checking in with lee's um i think like lee like you know there are times where he seems like such an idealist and then other times where he's like a little more practical but there is always sort of like this we can do better vibe about him and i think it's it's an important through line for his character for sure uh like i think that there's like there's a real generational divide between how Bill Adama does things and runs his ship, his literal ship, and also like just who he is. And with Lee as well. Uh, I think all the times that we can to sort of like emphasize and not just like delineate the difference, but highlight the ways in which those two men are similar, I think is really, really good for the show. Yeah. So again, I wish that we had swapped this out for the Tyrrell and Hilo second scene, which was a nice check-in with Hilo as a character as well. But to your point, I feel like what Lee represents is so nice. And I feel like it's been a while since we've had like a legitimate discussion from him as to how he's feeling about all this and what this makes him feel about his chosen calling. For sure. Um, okay, so we already mentioned there's one jump. So we are up to 19 jumps total. We have eight fracks in Resurrection Ship Part 1. Three from Kat. Uh, you make her cag and look at her just going Yeah, she's like, great, we can say whatever the hell we want. Whatever the Hilo we want, because Hilo gets two fracks. Uh, Did any one of these fracking Cylons ever come out of the wall and say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Admiral Kane, uh, maybe having the worst day at her job. Uh, three fracks from Admiral Kane. Three fracks from Kane uh, feels like a lot. Um, 89 fracks for season two so far, 154 fracks total on Battlestar Galactica through the 11th episode of season two. Uh, some final things we're tracking, Mike, you have now adjusted your Starbuck and Apollo frack counter. You think it will be within 41 episodes, 24 episodes down. No closer. Yeah. To I mean, one reason why they're like, oh, I want Lee on my team. And she's like, why? I'm thinking, well, it's because they need to be in close proximity so that they can frack within 41 episodes. Please, Not Kane. Not going to count if the ships make contact. Uh, oh, come on. That's basically count. like sex. Not going to count. Uh, no adjustments to the Cylons, I believe, this week. No, I mean, I think we'll talk about this at the end of the season, I think, as to like, it's a big season for Boomer, but it's becoming a pretty big season for Six as well, especially given the past couple episodes. So, yeah. I think as much as Boomer was nipping at her heels, I think Six might still pull away as the victor. Okay. Well, then that's it. That's Resurrection Ship Part 2. Uh, wow. Or Part 1, rather. Look at uh, look at that runtime on an episode of Down the Hatch. Mm, they said it couldn't be Chris. done. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. Uh, but here we are protecting our time here in 2024. Off to a start. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we cut off the runtime of this episode. Like, Kane cut off the runtime of the civilian. There's going to be people like, this podcast is going to come out. They're like, did the episode like get cut wrong? Uh, it's like, no, it's actually uh, only like an hour and a few minutes. Should we just dilly-dally? 
calling for 20 minutes to get it no, up I, to 90? You know what you can do? Can you just loop Yankee Doodle Hurley in here for like 20 <laughs> times? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I I think we're good here. We could come in under the uh, under the wire for once in our lives. This is a nice deal. <laughs> New Year's uh, resolution. That's it. That's right. Okay, so Resurrection Ship Part 2 is coming out. Coming out next week. Mike, any predictions for what to uh, expect from Resurrection Ship Part 2? So I have a hunch that there's a group that's going to pop in, pretend to be mining expedition. Then the Cylons are going to follow them and they're going to pop out except for one ship. And then when the Cylons follow that out, then everyone else is going to come in and charge on the Cylon base stars. And then little Leah Domino's little Blackbird is going to come sailing on through and blow up the resurrection ship once and for all. I do think we will see the destruction of said resurrection ship. I think you bring up a lot of good points earlier as to like, what that means for all of our Cylon characters moving forward. I think there would be a lot of like very delicious stakes to that for everyone involved, including our party on Caprica. What I do not think goes through successfully is either plan to execute the leader of the other side of the conflict. I think there's a good chance that Kane will die as Rosalind said, even I talked about it last week, like I don't know how you introduce this character and let her live through these few episodes uh, because she is the senior officer of the entire fleet and is also such a big presence and will refuse to listen to anybody else. So I imagine she will die. I don't think Starbuck will shoot her in the head point blank. I think Fisk will come up short to Adama. I think his he may ultimately pay in the process as well. I mean, we talked about this last week about the Pegasus kind of being the tailies of BSG. And a lot of them might go the way the tailies did near the end of season two of just getting mercilessly wiped off the board with maybe layered as the Bernard as the one holdover. Oh man. Mm, I'm layered. Uh, and then also be on the lookout for a uh, Laura Rosalind, Rosalind death watch. IMO. I don't think Adama's dying. I think it might be close. It might be touchy for Rosalind here. All right. We'll find out one week's time. Resurrection ship part two. Make sure you're subscribed down the hatch, Battlestar Galactica, wherever you get your podcasts, feel free to write in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com with any of your feedback. It'll be a week delayed here on the podcast. So uh, if you don't hear us talk about your feedback for a while, that is why I've got some travel coming up. Um, Huge thanks to everybody behind the curtain. Uh, ben, Brendan, Operation Mattingly, Alex G with the theme song, all the people who make it possible. Jess Sterling putting this mm-hmm. podcast out in your feeds. All of you hatchlings out there for listening through the pneumatic tubes that is the internet to get your episodes of Down the Hatch on any given week. Huge thanks to you, to my good friend, Mike Bloom oh. here. Uh, what a delight to uh, get back on the mic with you and talk about BSG uh, at a Mike Bloom type, wherever you can find him. What's going on mike i think by the time this podcast drops true detective night country is underway yes uh oh i like a little bit of miss piggy there at the end <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so a muppet true detective season five make it would happen. be great would be great uh yeah so first off i am so happy to be back as well i think as the weeks went on not to say that you know i i wasn't missing it but it was, it's always nice to like get a little bit of breathing room especially totally. around the holidays but i definitely think as things happen and especially at the beginning of every week i'm like I miss having BSG and I especially miss getting the opportunity to talk with Josh. So I'm glad we're back in the swing of things in the new year. I'm making it happen, especially with such a fun show. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm in a bit of like a weird sort of holding pattern slash like transitory period with a lot of the content that I'm doing because reality TV is happening. But we're before, you know, the big launch of a bunch of the CBS shows that I cover. The one big thing that I'm doing is that on Wednesdays now on Survivor Nights, I am hosting a new off-season Survivor podcast series called Outwit. 
outplay outdraft where Ooh. every week myself and a panel of podcasters get together and i host not only a draft but an auction style draft of something from a particular category so like for example the one we did in the first week of january was a uh, first boots a subject that josh you and i talked about in years ago this past week i did one about a uh, twists and advantages so if you're a survivor fan if you like a little bit of a twist on the typical draft format be sure to check that out you mentioned True Detective Night Country, but I've been on my crime BS covering Fargo, which has yeah. just been like surging to such an excellent streak. Uh, at the time we're talking uh, and the time this is being released, episode nine should already be out there. In fact, by the time you may be listening to this episode 10, the finale, I think the might, finale may either yeah, be already, out or just about to be out. Yeah. So I have no idea how it ends, but if it is going the rate of episode seven and eight, especially like this season might surpass one. It is so damn good. And I'm so happy to talk about it as well with Latanya and Grace every week. Amazing. I've I've been loving Fargo this season as well. So really excited to see it to come in for a landing. And True Detective this season, I'm really excited for people to check it out. I had the pleasure of getting oh. to watch it. I've got some uh, some stuff at the Hollywood Reporter and the Hopper. Got to talk to Jodie Foster. It's really oh, nice. Deal. Did you come onto the phone and say hello, Clarice? Uh, no, but I do have like pizza stuff in like my background of my office now. I have like a huge pizza mm-hmm. blanket. I've got like this pizza ornament that the great DJ LaBelle Klein uh, got for me for winning our only murders in the building season and two bet and i have the pizza blanket that of course the patrons of post show recaps gifted me when i got yes. my lasik a couple of years ago and so i was just having a conversation with jody foster and most of the people who are who i interview now will always say something about the pizza stuff mm-hmm. it's like a good icebreaker jody foster said nothing about that <laughs> it's like the entire time i was just like what does she think of me i mean uh, you want to know the secret though josh behind her slightly out of frame just like the resurrection <laughs> is a pizza covered room yeah i think so, so. so she I understood yeah, you know, like there is like this recent headline that as of at least this recording is like she's like trashing Gen Z and stuff. And I'm definitely not Gen Z, but she's probably like looking at me. She's like, these kids, kids these days, these kids with their pizza rooms can't get, and can't their Riz. Yeah. All right. Riz well, rooms. let's see. Pizza for everybody coming next week to down the hat. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, if they do, it's with the corners cut off. Also, we didn't talk about that, that like the handouts, like the photo. Yeah. Uh, that Baltar is like sorting through. They had their corners cut off. Which Could you imagine though, all the pizzerias in the colonies had to make pizzas with the corners cut off? That must be such a difficult job for anyone who bakes. Yeah, I mean that being said, like maybe they just like cook them as slices, just straight up. Hmm. Oh, like New York style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the slices New York style. Like they'll just like cut them up, but like maybe they even just like bake them as slices. Is what I'm saying. Uh, so at, like the pyramid thing, they just like make a pyramid uh, shaped yeah. thing. Oh, a 3D Like, we keep talking about this, and we are really getting dangerously close to a 90-minute podcast, so why don't we quit while we're ahead? All right. Pizza party next time, though. Everyone's going to be fine. All right. We'll talk about the pizza stuff next time. We will talk about Resurrection Ship Part 2 as Down the Hatch Battlestar Galactica Season 2 continues. Until then, everybody, take care. Goodbye. So say we all. So say we all. Get down.